Welcome, everybody, to the Artisan Church All-Inclusive Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Josephus. And I'm Reed Conley, pastor of Artisan Church. And today we have a very special guest. I'm so pleased to uh, let you know that we have the Reverend Dana Seiler with us today from Unity Presbyterian. So, Dana, we're so glad that you're here. We have so many uh, fond memories in the life of Artisan Church going up to this point. And uh, glad that you're here to chat with us today. It's a real honor to have you. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Good. Well, we would like to know a little bit more about you today. So maybe we can talk about some of your story. We know that you're the associate pastor at Unity. Um, but maybe uh, if you wouldn't mind, maybe you could tell us about, um, about your story and your journey to this point. Okay. Particularly in the faith realm. Well, we want to talk about faith today. Yes. Yeah. So I'll give you the short version, the shorter version of my story. Otherwise, we would be here all day. Um, but I grew up in a home that I guess we could say was a Christian home, although we did not practice um, and we never went to church. And I remember a traumatic event happening in our family when I was about 10. And so I turned to my mom and said, I'm going to need you to start dropping me off at the church at the bottom of the hill. And so she would drop me off at church for Sunday school. And then after Sunday school, I'd walk over to uh, the sanctuary, big church, and attend church by myself. And then my mom would come back and pick me up. And so I did this for probably about a year and was baptized in that year. And then got away from the church probably until my mid-20s. So I lived a long span of time uh, not really seeking after God and not really curious about faith or Christianity. Um, and during that span of time, I think I turned to more Eastern philosophy as a faith practice rather than Christianity. Um, read a lot about Buddhism and shamanism and Taoism and just kind of took a little bit from each of those faith traditions and formed my own credence and just tried to live by that philosophy of just being a good person and creating a greater good and believed a lot in karma, I would say, during that that yeah. time frame. Yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. That's very personal about your journey and, um, and very interesting. So um, you have, there's, clearly something that happened in between where you find yourself now as a pastor. So I'm curious where that step yes. took place too. Yes. Yeah. So mid twenties, I'm going to UNCW Wilmington and in Wilmington. And I just started being curious. There was this little inkling inside of me that thought, well, I wonder what this church over here is doing. And so I ended up going to a pretty large church in Wilmington that was doing a lot of outreach for college students in that area and just found my place there. And when I say that I started going there, I mean, I was like once every other month and thought I was a regular attender. <laughs> <laughs> um, and what's so ironic is that when I think back to it, there was one service, it was the Sunday after New Year's, or right after Christmas, and the pastor was preaching on, um, what's your word? What's your word for the year? And we had these little cards, and we wrote down our word, and mine was commitment. And I was going to commit to going to church twice a month. That was a huge leap for a college student. That's a step. Yes. 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 Yeah. Okay, but now fast forward, right? Like, 
decades later, and now I'm a pastor in church every Sunday, like leading it. So that commitment on that particular Sunday really came to to flower into something else that I had no idea. Are, that you, it still, was. are you still only at two times? I try <laughs> to be. I really try to be. <laughs> um, so I left Wilmington and um, started a master's program in social work and finished my master's. I started a PhD in professional counseling with pastoral care. And that is about the time that I ended up getting a job as a youth director which is a very interesting story as to how I became a youth director. Um, but you can kind of see how God was just opening doors and putting me on a certain path. So when they asked me to start doing um, these religion courses for the PhD program, I was staying up all night reading theology books. So about four in the morning, which is, as we know, a very abnormal behavior. Um, <laughs> it doesn't happen by accident. That, no. <laughs> that does not, yes. And so I thought, well, I, I'm just, this is weird, right? So I talked to the pastor that I was working for at the time, and he said, well, what do you think about going to seminary instead of just doing another counseling degree? And so I went and toured the seminary in Richmond and loved it. And every obstacle and rebuttal that I had regarding seminary was just answered during that tour and during those interviews. And so it was just it was just confirmation that that was the next step. So. So did you did you not get to finish the PhD? I did not. No, I transferred over um, to do another master's. Yeah. God had another plan. Yes, absolutely. That is a beautiful story. Yeah, that, that was, I mean, that was concise too. I mean, like that was a quick story. I mean, you know, a lot of information in a quick time. Like, yeah, we, we could learn a thing or two about getting those out. Particularly a lot of information uh, that's not a very straight and like not the path that you thought you'd be on. And, and it had some turns. And I think that's uh, how a lot of faith journeys are and you know I, mine is similar as well in that it isn't this isn't where i thought i would be 20 years ago for Being sure a, yeah. a video gamer one thing i've noticed about a lot of our stories and a lot of the stories that we've been hearing is it seems like there's this like discovery in the youth or like there's a presence at the in the household that doesn't necessarily always get met like so to speak uh going to church actively with the parents and then around your like early teens and stuff like that you you might elect to go on your own and then there's just like this gap uh around the college ages and then all of a sudden you just find there's like a spark somewhere that mm -hmm. like you know if i if i had to write a guide on like what it like spiritual journeys look like it would be like something like that because it seems to be a consistent pattern in those stories we've been hearing yeah i think there's something about wanting to go for you you right. know and, and and there's a there's a space in between sometimes where your your family is leading or not leading your spiritual path and then you come to a place where maybe you need it for yourself and then you make that decision for yourself at some point so that yeah that that is definitely like a common theme can i ask a question so being absolutely somebody who you're also, a host <laughs> <laughs> well no i didn't know if you had something you wanted to lead with real quick but uh, um it was about her story you sort of were like me where your parents didn't go you like i had my mom or my grandmother drop me off at church and i wanted to know um that time like that time frame was um what was the what was the thing you think that like 
when you did transition out for a short period? Like, what do you think was like, did you, do you, do you have a, um, do you know what made you walk away initially? Was it just because you were leaving the area of the church that you were comfortable with or like what, what got you away from it? Because it was interesting for me is this like, I became an, like an adult, but not really. Um, <laughs> and it was like, wait, I'm noticing things that just doesn't make sense to me. So did you have a realization or was it just you moved away from something and it just didn't follow you? Yeah. So why did I grab away from the church? Right. Yes. So I would say it's a combination of things. Um, my friend's sphere was not very, uh, let's go to youth group kind of, kind of group. And also just not processing my family of origin issues. Um, so lots of wounds that were left open that led me in a different direction um, until later in life when I did actually process those. And yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks for sharing. I know that's like a, a rough one sometimes, but I just wanted to know because it's interesting how we elect to go, uh, like even when our parents aren't going. And then you would think that, you know, you're in this great space. Why would you ever leave it? You chose to be, you know what I mean? You chose to be there on your own as a young, as a younger person. Right. Yeah. And then all of a sudden it's just like, hey, um, where did I like, where did I turn? Hey, hey, Dana, I have a, I have a follow on question to Josephus's, which is, so a lot of people, you know, when you got to college, when you got to seminary, um, and you had said that you had gone through this faith journey of going into Eastern philosophical kind of religions and, and things like that, what was it that drew you back to Christianity? Because if you've explored all of those other ones, what was the, the catalyst for getting you back mm. into Christianity? That is a good one. Man, that wasn't on the uh, list that I prepared for, so that, we'll reject that one. Good one, but sorry. Um, yeah, so I guess as I'm thinking back on it now, knowing where my life went, the direction it went in, I, I remember a stirring in my spirit. There was a restlessness that was there and a curiosity. And I now being having nurtured my faith and knowing God and hearing God's voice and knowing what that voice sounds like, it was definitely God kind of moving in me and trying to put me on the path that I was supposed to be on. And luckily I listened. Luckily I thought, okay, I'm going to take this right-handed turn into this parking lot and go to this church and, um, and kind of answer, answer that call a little bit. So even, even within the halls of intelligentsia, when you were studying all of this, it still oh, it still clicked with you. That kind of a faith journey started to click. Yes, which I think we could say, I, I think I could say with confidence that even though I was practicing, practicing might be a stretch, even though I believed in Eastern philosophy um, and was drawn to that more, and even though Christianity, that interest in Christianity started to emerge, I think I found God in all of those things. And so it didn't matter to me if I was sitting on a beach and experiencing God and the wind and the waves and the beauty of nature, or if I was sitting in church and hearing a sermon that really hit home for me and gave me life application um, so that I could start to, to follow in Christ's footsteps a little bit more. I think I found God in all of those platforms. Sure, and there's certainly some base notes in Eastern uh, philosophy that 
that uh, can kind of jive with the philosophy and the teachings of, of Jesus, which is where you, you know, you, you leaned into, uh, it's not always uh, butting heads, is it? It's what was here, Western philosophy. So I'm a little bit more familiar with that. I've actually never really explored the opposite. So when you say Eastern, are we talking about like uh, Muslim and Buddhist and stuff like that? Like, are we talking about those religions when we say Eastern or is there actually like an Eastern side of Christianity or like, can you elaborate just a, like a microchasm on that for me? I'll let Pastor Dana yeah, take that. Yeah, um, so I would say that I was reading more about Buddhism and shamanism and Taoism um, and just different faith traditions. And that was early 20s, right? So I've just been fascinated by world faith traditions in general. And so even from that time, you know, I've studied Islam. I am just fascinated with Hinduism Yeah, and I've tried to start writing this book about Hinduism and Christianity and the overlap and how certain deities in Hinduism really align with the language that we use to describe God. For instance, the three kind of founding deities in Hinduism is Brahma and Vishnu and Shiva. So the, and they all have titles like the Trinity right? So one of them is the creator, the preserver, the destroyer. So there's all this language that is similar. It's just, you know, it's similar, but slightly different, but man, there's a lot of overlap. One of the things that really always uh, fascinated me and also kind of had me thinking or like triggered my brain to think is um, we have all these uh, like religions and I always thought it was interesting because there is a lot of overlap in many of them. Like there's there's common messages that, you know, translate. There's usually like some minute details or like, well, to some major details that might hit or miss. But I thought it was interesting that like maybe the idea of religion is not necessarily the things that aren't off, that, that, that aren't, don't sync up more so as like what is the common theme through these religions. And um, I think that it's interesting, you know, because people sometimes argue over who delivered the message, but it's like, did you get the message? Mm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I always, I always, I always thought about it like that. It's like, I don't really like, I'm not going to argue with somebody over being Muslim versus being Christian. It's like, we both have a, we both have a message that kind of, you know, lines up in certain aspects. Did you get the message um, being a good person to your your neighbor and stuff or, like or that. maybe or maybe the value is peace the value exactly so, so if you if you're if your faith tradition values peace and you're coming head to head and saying no my my value of peace is better than yours and we're gonna fight about or my it. messenger is better than yours like the the name we call the person is better so you should just see it our way like yeah <laughs> like i just that was one thing with the different religions for me it was just like because like like you said, I've seen some of the um, statues and the and stuff like that for the Hindu gods, and they're like really beautiful. Like they are. I, I'm drawn to the art to, that goes into some of these. Like, to throw a to throw a monkey wrench in there, I always thought, and this is a Ghostbusters reference. I always thought Gozer was the destroyer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, but no, oh, okay. incorrect. <laughs> uh. I think you really crossed the streams there. Oh, oh I'm nice. sorry. We're going to have to move on. <laughs> um, Who I, gave him a mic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so Josephus, just going back to your point, I do think that there's this common thread 
amongst all religions, faith traditions of creating a greater good. There's, right. you know, there's service and just leaving the world better than it was, not harming your neighbor, um, you know, loving your neighbor like yourself. That's, you see that through and through. The only difference that I have found with Christianity is that it's the one uh, religion that gives us hope. Right. Yeah. And so that's, that's really a defining marker. And for me as a professing Christian, I really enjoy having that hope and that message of hope in my life. And it brings a lot of value and, and meaning. Yeah. The hope is what carries us through the tough times like nothing else. Yeah. Um, so th I, I'd like to explore this a little bit more in the context of how we as a church might observe and respond and interact with other faith traditions. So, and I know that you have had um, some experience with that in, in your work in church. And um, maybe you could share a little bit about how you've engaged with other faith traditions and, and also follow up, like has the process and the, has the response always been positive? Yeah. So I'm going to go off on a little bit of a sidebar and then yeah. I'll lump it all together. All right. Great. Okay. So I feel like in the past two decades, maybe even a little bit longer, we've been having interfaith panels, interfaith discussion, which is great because we needed to bring awareness around the fact that um, Judaism and Islam and Christianity have a lot of overlap, a lot of the same um, beliefs and the same God. They just, you know, Jesus is a, a defining uh Con conflict right that's there. kind of the sticking point and when yeah, you're talking about interfaith point. you're talking <laughs> yeah. about like the like between christianity and jew uh in the jewish religion like you know having the, the all conversation of oh, yeah all, all okay. of them yes right. um and so we've had a whole lot of dialogue and i remember being um in seminary and i was attending another interfaith panel i've been fascinated by this topic for basically my whole life so i've gone to a lot of panels and I just thought, you know, why do we just have dialogue? Like where we are ready for the next part now, where is like, where's the application? Mm -hmm. And that was one of my questions to the panel of, this is great. This is probably my third panel in this month. You know, where are we actually gonna do something about this? One suggestion being, how do we, if we're observing all of these Christian holidays in our school system and in our, our the federal holidays, how, what is that communicating to our other members of our society that are Islam or Jewish? Um, we don't have, we don't recognize Hanukkah. We don't close the school down for Hanukkah, but we do on Christmas um, and banks. Yeah, it's and been so a pretty on. slow rollout to even put those on the calendar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in the, in, in the past couple of years, I actually have heard about charter schools up in New Jersey and New York that are starting to observe some of the Rosh Hashanah. Um, Yom Kippur, that sort of things. But these are charter schools. It's a different setting and policies. Um, so I think we're getting there slowly. So we've had all these panels. I'm seeing that we're going to need to start doing more than talking about it. So then at the last church that I served at, I decided to put together a series of workshops. And it was it was called Who is Your Neighbor? With the idea being if we're supposed to love our neighbor, shouldn't we know who our neighbor is? So let's get to know our Baptist neighbors and our um, evangelical neighbors and our Pentecost neighbors. Let's learn about their faith practices and let's see what our similarities are and what are our differences and really just engage in community. This was all over breaking bread and you know having uh, 
dialogue and conversation and also lectures afterwards. So that series, part one of my series of Who's Your Neighbor went very well, right? Because that still is Protestant um, faith, right? right? You're sticking with Christians, yes. just different I mean, flavors of Christianity. Yes. Right? Yeah. So part two was the interfaith part. And that's where I brought in voices from the Baha'i community and the Buddhist community, um, Islam. And I think it was about a couple weeks before the classes were supposed to launch. And there was so much pushback in the church where um, they just didn't feel comfortable with that kind of learning environment with inviting people into our church space that weren't actually Christian. There was a lot of um, stereotypes and generalities gener generalities that were thrown around about um, our Islamic neighbors. And it was just pushing people out of their comfort zone to the point that I realized that this was pushing my church past what they were able to do at that point. So then as a pastor, you have to say, okay, this is not where we are as a church, so we need to step back from this. Um, so we did not have that, the second part of the series, which was very upsetting for me because I just love this stuff, love talking about it. I think we have a lot to learn. I think there's a lot of awareness. Um, so I think that that particular instance shed light on how divided and contentious this can be for folks and how it it makes us feel uncomfortable like we do not like it when somebody is one telling us that we are wrong or what we believe is wrong or if we're surrounded by people who aren't like us that don't really believe the things that we believe in i would say um if i were thinking from a more outside of christianity mindset if you want to see schools and the federal government recognize uh, you know, Hanukkah, let's figure out how to make retail stores make millions, if not billions of dollars from it. Because when you look at Christmas today, there's not very many people who celebrate Christmas in the essence of Christianity. It's let's go buy everybody gifts and let's just like, you know, it's Christmas sometimes feels like it almost loses its punch. Um, when you get around certain crowds because, you know, you see fights over who didn't get the best present or who didn't, you know, appreciate so-and-so. Like, n not many people break out their Bibles or have a prayer at their Christmas and stuff like that. So, or let's see how many Christmases we can get to in the day. If only the Hanukkah bush had taken off. Right. I mean, it's yeah. just like, yeah, if we, if we could have, if, if like, you know, so that, and that's not my, you know, it's just, I've heard that be one of the conversations yeah. from outside of Christianity toward directed, you know, towards people. So in our culture, there's definitely like a, like a soft entry point into Christianity. Right. Oh, we've got Christmas. Uh, right. Can, yeah. Right. Uh, so that's that's true, and I, I think that that makes it more comfortable, um, at least in our in our corner of the world, to um, maybe be around Christians because there's all varying degrees, and and we maybe we just don't even have awareness. Um, thinking as a as a Christian who's maybe thinking about inter, you know having dialogue with someone of a different faith, you know, there's just so much to not that we don't know. But the only thing we know is you don't believe what I believe, right? So we already have this comp almost a conflict brewing right. um, where, you know, we, we don't want to, we as people, I'm going to speak in very general terms, are not good at disagreeing. And so that's just the stress that builds up even just thinking about it. Yeah. Uh, we we want to just run the other way and, and, and call that person, they're on the out, you know. So 
I, I, I'm not surprised at the response that you got from your congregation, but it is uh, sad that there couldn't just be a space. It irritated me even like because I just think it's like why why as people can we not just have a conversation like what is so hard about hearing someone else's viewpoint and it being just that their viewpoint it doesn't have to change who you are yeah like but the idea that we're so right that just bringing wrong around us will make us feel upset (laughs) yeah is is crazy and it and it's even biblical that we might want to have peace with people of other faith traditions i uh, I, I like to lift this up um, while well, we just have a few more minutes left. Uh, in Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 21, everyone should just go ahead and read that. It talks about the marks of being a Christian and, and what it looks like to be a, a follower of Christ. Uh, and we could read the whole thing right now, but I'll just I'll lift up a couple of highlights right now. Uh, verse 16 says, Live in harmony with one another. Do not be arrogant. Verse 17 says, Take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. And verse 18, if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So if we agree that that all includes more than just people who believe what I believe, if it, if it includes people uh, of every denomination, of every faith tradition, all of God's children <clears throat> means everybody, then what does it look like for uh, Christ followers to live that idea out in today's world. Mm. Mm. What does that look like? I think it looks a lot like organizing a conversation Station, where we yeah. all come together and talk about other faith traditions. Yeah. You know what I realized, uh, what was funny is like, there's there's many different faith traditions and then typically they're separated by like a language barrier. We're easily to accept the fact that everybody speaks a different language and we're not so quick to say, well, you don't speak this language, so you can't come here. Or we're not offended by whatever language you you don't speak, right? But the moment your religion comes into factor, what you've learned as a kid and stuff like that, it's like, well, that religion's wrong. It's, you know, I don't, it's interesting to me. Part, part of the, the thing I think that, that if I can interject, if, um, that, that kind of hinders us is the desire often to put the impetus for change on the other party. So it's not that, you know, we could have a conversation as long as you are willing to change your viewpoint to what I believe is right. And so I, it, Christ was a leader, and he led by example his humbleness and his love and his grace towards others that were different than himself, even those that persecuted him, set the example. And so I think that we, we are increasingly a society of a lack of accountability and a lack of leadership towards our grace and our love towards others. And that, that can be a seed that can allow for that conversation as long as we're not looking for them to change immediately to meet our definition of what they should be. Yeah, I think that that's well said, Rich. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wonder too if there's the ego has to die, and sometimes that's a daily practice. Um, but yeah, I think the the ego, the self, has to let go of what we think is right, what we think is the only way, and just kind of allow many voices to come together. Um, there's another passage 
in Jeremiah where God is talking to Jeremiah. It's Jeremiah 32, and he says, I am the Lord your God of all flesh. And in the Hebrew meaning of all flesh, it is all humankind. So not just, uh, you know, our, our- Not just the chosen people. Right, right, right. So all humankind, God created all of us. And how his voice is heard and what language we use to describe God or to be in relationship with God is really based on where we are born and the sort of home that we were in or what we were exposed to. You know, all of us were born in, in the West, in the Western part of the world. And so our language, especially for us Southerners, is the Bible and Jesus. And, you know, we are in the Bible belt here. But if you were to be born in China, your language for God would be totally different. It would be more of a Buddhist understanding. It would be energy. It would be karma. It would be too good. Um, and so I think just realizing how much our geographical location plays a factor into this and how we are raised and the the values and the language that's passed on to us from our families is a big influencer. But scripture does say that God is in all of humankind. Mm. Yeah, that's a lot to think about because I know in my faith tradition growing up in an evangelical context, most of uh, the talk about good news and you know, finding your, your place in the kingdom of God was all about bringing about the agenda of, I need to tell other people so that they can convert and believe what I believe. And that's the only, that's the whole point of everything that we do. And that's the whole point of any good that I do is to eventually turn it around to the point where I'm, I'm converting you, you know, yeah. I'm going to show God's love and kindness so that I can tell you about the good news and we can get you to say that sinner's prayer, you know? That, and, and I think that is so pervasive, particularly where we are in the Bible Belt, um, where, you know, it, that sharing the good news uh, kind of uh, over, overshadows any uh, other thoughts about what, how we might coexist or how we might um, bring this peace that, that is really what we're, what we're after. And... Um, so I want to ask everyone, how, how do we balance that? And how do we, how do we find uh, our particular voice to say that uh, coexisting with all of God's children is how we ought to be showing God's goodness and, and the good news of Jesus Christ? That's a good one. Yeah. I, I do have one example. Okay. One instance that... Um, where I saw this occurring and it was in India. So I spent about a month in India and went around to a lot of different cities and towns. And there was one city um, that I was in and there was a huge uh, Christian church there and they were building a new building. It was millions of dollars, this building. And so just imagine this, we're in like a deeply impoverished country that's building a huge church, millions of dollars and thousands and thousands of people and Christian, I say people, I'll get to that point in a minute. Mm -hmm. People and Christians are coming there. And so I started reading their mission statement and what they believed, what are their beliefs? Um, what, are, what, what messages are they putting out there to their community? And one of them, uh, one of the bullet points in their mission statement was, 
anybody of any faith can come here and worship your God in our space. And so they had Christians that were there on Sunday morning. This was totally a Christian service. So think full-on liturgy, sermon, everything. But there were Buddhists and there were Hindus and there were people who were coming there just to experience God um, in however they were worshiping that day. And it was successful. There was tons of people that were coming there because there wasn't a dividing line. There wasn't a sticking point that this is what we believe. This is how you become a member and you adopt our beliefs. And this is how you apply our beliefs. It was come here and worship just as you are in our space and experience God, however God's communicating to you in this environment. That is dope. That's like beautiful. That. Yeah. yeah. That'd be really cool. And there were probably little pockets of that around us where uh, one congregation might share their space with someone else. But, but that is, to say it's in your mission statement is another thing. Uh, and what a beautiful expression of, of what, something really holy happening to say that we value you as people, not just as converts to what we believe. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's a good one. I like that. It gives us something to think about. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you everyone for tuning in to listen to this podcast. We look forward. We'll have to have you come back if you will. Yeah, I feel like I'm not done. I feel I like there's well, so much more to talk about. We, could, we, could, we have just scratched the uh, proverbial surface here. But yeah, so we'll call this part yeah. one. Part one. Part one. I like it. <laughs> All right. The first part one episode. First part one episode. I'm going to have to put part one now. <laughs> it's out there. So, yeah. Well, thanks everybody for tuning in and listening and we hope you come back and join us again next time on the podcast. Thank you. Adios. All right. Bye-bye.